1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of things available to be talked about today. I say it that way instead of lots of things to talk about because I, I am so entertained uh, by the Secret Service concluding their investigation a week after uh, starting their investigation and saying they have no idea who brought cocaine into the White House. Uh, the reason this is funny, and I'm going to put on the most um, apolitical hat I can put on for this discussion, because I know uh, the minute you get into anything in today's world and you, you sense politics uh, being a part of the feel, a part of the take of any kind, so many people feel entitled to tune it out. They're like, all right, now I can turn this off. I don't care about this anymore. I don't want to listen to this. Uh, Gavin Newsom a couple days ago, I keep referencing it because of how entertained I was by it. I told Jen Psaki he doesn't want to understand the pos positions of the opposing side of the aisle. He just wants – that's why he watches Fox News every night, uh, something he also said to her in that interview. He just wants to understand the system uh, that they utilize to get their message out so that he can fight it without understanding the people or the things they think. Even the idea that the election was stolen is something that I think if, if honestly people dove – into why someone feels that way and why someone doesn't feel that way, we'd have a much more fascinating conversation. And then you also would have to pick what year uh, we're talking about. Uh, 2016, a lot of Democrats felt that the election was um, impacted by Russia. 2020, Trump told everybody that that election was stolen. I've said that the elections were not stolen. I don't think they were stolen. I've said it on the show. Some people get mad, and you can be mad. 309-340-4464 is the text. But I'm open to continue to having that discussion. And people who send me videos and say there's proof of a whole lot of, of votes appearing overnight, uh, those are the exact videos that were presented to judges all throughout our country. And for whatever reason, the judges said no. And, and again, I, I understand that the response to that from someone usually is all those judges are corrupt. I am struggling to believe still, even with all the craziness we've seen in the world, that everyone can be in on the take. It's just too hard of a system uh, to, to figure out. But anyway, I digress. It's not the point. The, the cocaine thing is the point. Uh, here's what's amazing to me is you do have people, and I'll play a little audio from CNN to demonstrate this, who want to act as though – there's no reason this is in the news or should be in the news or why are we even continuing to discuss this? Cocaine was found at the White House. I know that it might be uh, some tourists or some young staffer, which is something that Kaylee McEnany uh, kind of sort of alludes to being a possibility. Uh, doesn't outright say that, uh, but alludes to that and some audio I'm going to play after. And I know that everyone says, hey, the, the Bidens, they were on a trip. They weren't here. Uh, people who think that it's Hunter Biden's cocaine, no way, not possible. They took several days to find it. Uh, that in and of itself is sort of amazing to me. And I'll prove that point, too, in a second when I play audio of just some of the reporting on this uh, that says that they compiled a, a video list or um, a video from people walking in and out of the area where they find the cocaine, not the location where the cocaine is dropped. And because it's over several days, they don't know what day it got dropped on the floor and it just sat there. Uh, on the floor somewhere in the White House, which to me is also very puzzling, especially – and I'll just say this. You know what? Uh, now I'm ranty, and I want to get back to the other thing I was trying to say. But white powder in a baggie on the ground uh, with all the fears of anthrax and other things at times uh, within our, our political world, I'm, I'm fascinated at the idea that white powder could sit in a baggie on the ground somewhere on the White House floor, maybe even kicked into a corner and not be noticed for an amount of time. But that's essentially part of what we're asked to, to believe uh, if we're to believe that the Secret Service, that nobody can figure this out. We have no idea when the cocaine appeared on the floor because there's hundreds of potential um, um, uh, suspects. And the video is the best we got since there were no fingerprints or anything else, which also 
also doesn't sound good for uh, the most powerful investigative bodies uh, in the world of our law enforcement, uh, like the Secret Service. If anybody can pull a fingerprint from something, it probably should be them. Apparently, that can't happen. Uh, but anyway, I want to play this first. Uh, this is audio uh, from July 7th. Uh, this, I think, is NBC News uh, saying that we weren't going to know who it was right away. So within, I don't know if it was even a full day, uh, the reporting was out there that, hey, you're not going to know who, who had cocaine at the White House. We're just prepping you for that inevitability. We have been covering a mystery at the White House, a West Wing whodunit. Well, now we're learning it's possible we may never get an answer. Never know. We just want to make sure you know that going in. That we, it's, it would be like me being asked to do a project at my uh, job, looking at the boss and being like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do that. Uh, I'll try for a week or so, but uh, I'm not going to be able to do it. I just want you to accept that reality now. And now we have this report today, and this is CNN's version Again, with the lead-in of how dare we're still talking about this. So now the serious and the who knew we would be, have to continue reporting on something like this. We have an update now on the investigation into the bag of cocaine found in the White House. I've just learned, according to two sources familiar with the investigation, that the Secret Service has concluded its investigation into this baggie of cocaine that was found inside the West Wing nearly two weeks ago, and they have been unable to identify a suspect. <laughs> One of those sources tells me that they combed through hundreds of individuals hundreds. and visitors logs and surveillance ah, footage, uh, but they out. were ultimately unable to link this baggie of cocaine uh, to one individual. Now, uh, uh, the second... All right, let me stop it there. If you are someone who works in the White House and it was your baggie of cocaine, I wonder how much sweating you've been doing over the past week or so. I wonder how many days you've been going back home. You're like, I'm going to get fired. They, they have to be able to figure out it's my cocaine. I work at the White House. Uh, it's the Secret Service investigating this. These are powerful people. There, there has to be a way that they figure this out. And then if you hear this report, and it is, I don't know whose it is. I'm just uh, playing a, a version out on the air that entertains me. And then you're like, oh, my God, they can't figure it out. How is that possible? Uh, one of my favorite things that's been said uh, a lot of places, I heard Mark Lee Van Camp and Robbins say it today, too, uh, drug test people. That probably should be the next step right now, a week out from finding it. Anyone on staff who walked in and out of that uh, area of the White House that's on camera and potentially a suspect in dropping the baggie should be drug tested. That feels like a correct next response. I, again, that's stuff that would happen at your workplace. If you dropped a bag of cocaine or someone else that works there or a guest who came in, I dropped drugs like that on the ground and it was found, I feel like the company would drug test people and have every right to do it. But the White House, man, we can't. We have no idea. Uh, we're at a loss here. Uh, you guys tell us because we don't know is the response we're getting. This is Kaylee McEnany. Now, she said a couple things. And, of course, she is a, a former White House press secretary herself, so she knows the lay of the land. She knows where things are. And she actually – and I, I don't think it's even in the audio that I'm going to play um, – uh, shot down the notion that the um, situation room is relatively close to where the baggie was found because on a map it may look that way. But as Kaylee McEnany said, I think on Fox earlier today, it's not necessarily true uh, because of what rooms you have access to, how you get in and out of certain buildings within the White House. And again, she would know. So she sort of uh, shot down the idea that it was as close to or, or someone who had access in and out of the situation room who may have dropped it. But she does use the term executive door uh, to be a way in and out of the White House uh, that uh, would be one of the things that would be used in the cubby area where people store some things, including staff members, uh, younger ones who don't have offices for themselves, and then, of course, some guests of the White House. But she even makes sure to clarify that these wouldn't be tourist guests. 
This would be more friends and family, I guess. But here's some of what she said. I would have gone to Secret Service because, as Marie knows, half of your job as a spokesperson is to be an investigator, to go get the facts. I would have gone to Secret Service saying there's wild speculation in the press. Tell me where you found this so I can take this to the White House podium. She didn't do that. It allowed wild speculation. The cubby holes, I would say, two groups of people use those cubby holes. NSC staff or staffers walking from EEOB, younger folks coming in. They don't have offices in the West Wing. They use the cubby holes because they're about to walk into a skiff or a guest of a staff member. You could call it a tourist, but it would be a close relative or a friend. Um, those are the two groups I would suggest it is. But finally, final point, when asked if this was a family member, for Andrew Bates to say, I cite the Hatch Act, which has to do with elections. Oh. Bizarre. Joe Biden's asked questions about this. He doesn't answer. Corrine Jean-Pierre asked about the family, and she derides the reporter. I would have gone to Trump and said, they're saying this is your family member. He would have said, absolutely not. I would have gone to the podium and said, I have zero reason to believe this is anyone in the president's family. Why she didn't do that, I do not yeah, I do not know. Uh, that is a great point and uh, kind of what I was trying to allude to before the segment even started. Uh, the idea that it's been handled this story this way and that places like CNN make fun of the, the fact that it's still being talked about, questions are still being asked about it, and absolutely it'll be used. Uh, former President Trump will talk about it uh, as he campaigns to be your next president. Anyone would do that. I think anyone in the world of politics would do it. Uh, do I know whose cocaine it is? No, I don't. Uh, and apparently that puts me on the same level as the Secret Service in this situation with my access to none of the things uh, they have access to. But just the idea of this, just the totality of of the conversation and the way it's going and who gets mad and when they get mad uh, when you talk about it is it's fascinating to me. It's such a great demonstration of what is broken about the way we have conversations today and the way in which if you ask a certain question, but before you ask that question, you are identified as someone that's politically on this side or that side of the aisle. Uh, there are people in our society who feel you're not allowed to ask questions anymore. And that happens about well more than just politics. And I don't know how we as a society get answers to questions when we can't ask them. And I know that they tried to figure out the answer to this one. I know that they claim that they did. They put in a whole week's work of figuring out who brought cocaine to the White House. I love the sentence so much because it feels intense. It feels crazy. Like it would matter. I don't know. What would be a crazier thing to have found on the White House floor and not be able to find out whose it is? Would it be a weapon? Is that something that would be crazier in this situation? Yes, I'm sure that's an answer I would give to that. Uh, but are there many other things than like actual illicit drugs like cocaine? And again, the fact that Hunter Biden has a book out that he put out in 2021 called Beautiful Things, a memoir uh, that talks about his long addiction to uh, drugs like cocaine, including exactly uh, cocaine. And there are even videos of him, I think, doing cocaine from that a Hunter Biden laptop that wasn't real, that wound up being real. Uh, all of those things are just sort of fascinating in how they're they're uh, diminished within parts of this conversation, at least to some of the audience for it. This should have a wide ranging audience. Cocaine in the White House. No, like this should be. All right. Let me say it this way and then I'll take a break. This is a perfect start to conspiracy theory. Uh, because you have something found in the ground uh, rather close to areas where mostly staff or only staff go uh, and people in this area who would not be staff, according to a former White House press secretary, are not tourists. They're really more friends and family uh, getting access as a tour, but not the same as, say, more open areas to the public who still go through their own vetting process to get into this. And then we have no answer a week later, no, no fingerprint, not like you could start a movie. 
uh, based on this. Like who's who's. Uh, cocaine was that i feel like that's a maybe a boring movie but still a movie and right now we're we're being told that we should all move on at least by a decent amount of of media and a decent amount of politicians and that the obsession about this is stupid and borderline offensive i think is what corinne jean pierre said when someone asked is there any chance that this is connected to the the family uh, in the white house to the biden family and she didn't say no she just said how dare you sir and then she moved on, which, again, is sort of something that I think uh, Kaylee is also getting to, to squash rumors, to squash conspiracy, to, to put all that stuff to rest, uh, give definitive answers. And at a time, there were very weird answers given, like referencing the Hatch Act, not by Corinne Jean-Pierre, but by others. Also odd moves. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, a lot more coming up on the show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff uh, to talk about. I thought this was uh, really cool. I didn't watch uh, the ESPYs, uh, but this has gone viral. It's a, a bunch of places. Uh, it's Damar Hamlin introducing uh, the people who saved his life. Um, and again, I think this is cool for several reasons. They actually played a whole uh, giant montage. I did watch this entire thing. It's available. It's up there online um, of him uh, doing a voiceover uh, talking about how he wasn't even aware of the names of the people on the training staff who inevitably saved the life of DeMar Hamlin on the sidelines during a Monday night football game. All the stuff, you know, uh, he said he kind of sort of knew who they were. So there's a lot of powerful stuff in the, the longer video package and the discussion. But the, by the time the camera pans back to the human standing on the stage, introducing the people they're giving an award to, the guy's crying. He's he's breaking, and obviously so, uh, because if the things that weren't that uh, excuse me were done on that field hadn't been done, uh, Demar Hamlin would not be alive. So here's a little bit of that. Please welcome this year's recipient of the Pat Tillman Award for Service, the training staff of the Buffalo Bills. Okay, my name is Nate Bresky. I'm the head athletic trainer for the Buffalo Bills. By the grace of God and divine intervention, we had the best outcome we could have prayed for or imagined. Jamar, first and foremost, thank you for staying alive, brother. Oh, man. <laughs> thank you. You feel that? The response to Damar's injury was able to bring our nation together for a moment and show the world the power of prayer. Let's remember that feeling of unity and use it to make sure we can save the next life, too. Oh, he said stuff about religion. He said stuff about prayer, stuff about coming together. That's not good. Is that allowed? I don't know if that's allowed. I loved it. Uh, Nate Brisky is the guy's name, um, and it was uh, very powerful uh, to watch him take the award and watch him say, that, you yeah, know, glad you stayed alive, buddy. Uh, so that they could get you to the hospital and they could do more for you. Um, just a, a really cool moment in the world of of sports or life or other things. And I will be honest, even though there, there were questions that got asked very quickly on after DeMar Hamlin uh, suffered the cardiac arrest he suffered on the field, um, I was willing to ask those questions myself on this very show uh, because one of the things they say about both COVID and the COVID vaccine not necessarily one more than the other, is it creates heart inflammation. 
And was there a potential that he had an inflamed heart that allowed for the hit to be a little less miraculous than they described it as being when they said it was the, the most perfect hit ever on a person at that moment when your heart, I guess, is most vulnerable? Uh, that was the explanation that eventually was given, although DeMar kind of avoided that for a bit uh, before uh, saying that that's what it was. Uh, but anyway, outside of those questions about the how, uh, everyone did come together wanting DeMar Hamlin to be okay. And things like sports do have the ability to bring us together, not just in moments of tragedy, not in moments where you're afraid that somebody might have died on the field while you're watching a football game. Uh, but I would argue that Aaron Judge hitting 62 home runs last year was cool. It was powerful. It didn't maybe unite everybody because uh, it wasn't a chase for the actual full home run record for the entire league because, well, uh, several people did some steroids to get well beyond 70 or even 270. Uh, McGuire, uh, Bonds, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope somebody hits 74 at some point, and I hope it's demonstrated that that person's not on steroids. Just going to be cool to have that record be somewhere else. Uh, but I watched, and I remember ESPN started going to um, uh, Aaron Judge at bats, the way it used to go to Barry Bonds at bats or Mark McGuire at bats or Sammy Sosa at bats in uh, 98, and that, that was cool. And so th that's the power of sports. That's the value of, of showing up for a thing and being a part of a thing or even like, coaching kids when they're playing a sport and telling them that we're not going to talk about news and politics and the world of the day. Uh, none of that matters uh, when you're sitting and watching a sporting event and, you know, just trying to enjoy uh, people who are way better at something than you are that you wish you could be great at. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, I know uh, Scott Robbins loves this quote too in Moneyball, is uh, we're all told we're not allowed to play the children's game anymore. We're just told at different times. And the uh, elite athlete is told much later uh, than me or than other people are. And so I don't know. I just thought the ESPYs were very powerful. I thought uh, the acceptance speech was very nice. And I loved the fact that the trainer mentioned faith and mentioned God and mentioned prayer. I know he wasn't specific to which faith, because sometimes those things are not okay. At least it, that's what I'm told or heard in our society. Uh, I am not one to believe that. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I want to talk about um, actors and strikes and whatnot. I think it's interesting. But I'm actually having a pretty nice, uh, well, I don't know if it's nice. Keith, you can tell me if it's nice. Uh, text conversation with a listener to the show about uh, steroid use in baseball. And so this is totally off topic, but I just want to share uh, with you, uh, the reason that I care about that. Uh, I think even yesterday on the Greg and Dan show, uh, they were asking me about baseball and stuff. And I said, I don't feel great about uh, cheating in baseball, especially the steroid era cheating. Even though I look back in 98 uh, very fondly uh, when I remember how I felt at the time. Like that had restored baseball. The, Ro the Roger Maris uh, race or the race against his record uh, by Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, uh, the back and forth of it. Uh, Sammy went on to hit 60-plus home runs multiple seasons in a row, which is crazy. And then, of course, when Bonds went after the record and, and hit 73, uh, that also seemed to, to invigorate the audience that was uh, maybe uh, fading in the world of baseball. But today we talk about how baseball's audience is nothing like what it used to be. And just think, if last year we had the first real shot at someone, another Yankee, uh, I know that that doesn't matter to you if you hate the Yankees, but to me it does. Um, but another Yankee going after Maris's record, and there was no 70, 73 home runs because everybody didn't uh, pop steroids uh, together for a while and not have any injuries or anything. I don't know if, if Bonds would have ever hit more than 61. Uh, he had an amazing swing. Uh, it seemed like you couldn't get him out 
when he was up at the plate and he got walked a ridiculous amount of times because of it uh, late in his career. But you also got to remember that he was uh, playing into his late 30s and 40s and still hitting a ridiculous amount of home runs. Not many players do that. And I also really care about Roger Maris and what he went through uh, breaking the record in 61. There's a great movie uh, called 61. Billy Crystal created it. I highly recommend people watch it because I think the thing that's so good about it and Roger Maris's own family said it is the representation of Maris, who he was, why media hated him. New York media is terrible and they hated him. They didn't want him to break the record, all that stuff. But anyway, I got nostalgic for baseball for a second. And Keith, thank you for the chat uh, back and forth. But that's the reason that I so passionately dislike and even talked about it uh, yesterday on Greg and Dan, uh, the cheating thing in, in baseball, because I think it's robbing a guy of his importance to baseball. Uh, again, Roger Maris, who had the asterisks uh, after he didn't hit uh, 61 home runs in 154 games because Babe did that. Uh, there are so many asterisks. Uh, there are so many things that to me are just um, disappointing. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about actors. Obviously, people are going to care more about that. So the writers have been on strike for a while. Uh, writers have been on strike since May 2nd, 2023. It is July 13th. And the odds of you thinking about, hearing about, or talking about the Writers Guild of America a strike in the world of, of Hollywood are pretty much zero. It's barely ever discussed, if at all, even in like the, the places that obsess about um, entertainment news and whatnot. It's not a leading story on a daily basis. So the writers have not mattered for months now. Will the actors matter is the question. And it seems like the studios are much more likely to find some sort of uh, middle ground uh, to get the actors back to working. People are going to walk off sets and stuff. And I like TV as a movie. I imagine you like TV shows and movie too, movies as well. Um, but it's just not what it was. Uh, there's just so many outlets, so many platforms, and probably people uh, that are willing to write and also act and work for way less money. And honestly, even like young people today, I'll just say this about – uh, the generations that uh, currently might be uh, the most powerful at the box office or are likely to be the most powerful at the box office for years to come. I don't even think they really care about any of those celebrities at all. Logan Paul is more important to most young people than any actor or actress is. And Logan Paul's an idiot who does dumb stuff on social media. He's, he's genuinely a moron. Now, that is my take on Logan Paul. Not a huge fan. I know he's tremendously popular. I know he's done some dumb stuff uh, throughout his his. Uh, uh, influencer, social media, whatever, a YouTube career. And I know a vast majority of the videos that a bunch of, of young kids watch today are just people being morons in their homes. Uh, and I liked the, the uh, jackass stuff. I did. I thought that was very brilliant. I enjoyed it a lot. I went to movies. I remember going to one of them. It might have been the second or third one and seeing like a baby in the audience. And it was like a midnight showing. I was there with some buddies and you look down and somebody's got a baby. And I like that seems wrong. This seems bad. Uh, but I know that that's essentially just an offshoot of that. But it's everybody. Uh, there are so many people doing it now and not being famous for it that they're just uh, making people uh, go nuts, I think. Uh, but anyway, I just find it fascinating that if the actors go on strike and Hollywood somewhat caves to them, they just have so much more power uh, than writers, which is something writers and actors already knew, uh, but something we'll see. And maybe they won't. Uh, and as I said, I know a lot of people uh, do not care, um, even though I'm sure whoever you are who's ever out there uh, listening to the show, you probably watch some kind of TV or some kind of movie. You're probably not devoid of all of it. I don't meet many people today who watch none of those things. Like, I just read books. That's all I do. And listen to the radio, which would be awesome uh, if a lot of people do that. But I think there are people who still binge something, and that something is not going to exist for a bit uh, while they fight over uh, dollars and money 
And I guess also the world of baseball comes out in me uh, when I see any of that debate uh, because you've had multiple strikes in the world of baseball uh, in my lifetime and multiple fights about compensation that way and then how you inevitably recover uh, some businesses or I guess the owners of the teams in the case of what I'm talking about, uh, the let part of the season go away uh, before finding some sort of resolution and then trying to rebuild as much of the season as possible. Uh, timelines have already been pushed back because of, because of writer strikes. So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there. But I do find it fascinating that, say, so ma however many years ago, uh, I don't know exactly how long we'd have to rewind the clocks, like actors were, were the stars of society. And athletes were certainly stars in our society as well, too. Uh, so you, you got to think that in some generation, if actors refused to keep working, uh, people would care a lot more. And then you wonder yourself, why? Uh, why have those things changed? Why has the world of, of maybe even news media uh, become less significant to a lot of people? Most polls, most surveys say uh, that people believe that news media is biased now uh, to some extent, in some way, shape, or form. And then you can yell at me and call it a hot take if you want to. Uh, but just look at the data of people who think that. I think it's all mixed into the same bucket. I think that a lot of people see Hollywood as politically aligned. And, well, they are. A whole lot of politicians and a whole lot of actors seem to be on the same side of the aisle and hanging out and talking about things and doing, you know, the Academy Awards with political speeches. Uh, all those things exist. And so it seems like no matter what side of the aisle you're on, uh, politics have sort of ruined stuff, uh, ruined news media and how people perceive that, uh, ruined uh, television and movies and how people perceive that, uh, ruined uh, sports to an extent and how people perceive that. It's sort of disheartening, if you want to say it that way, uh, that one of the things that I think is probably most significant about all of these uh, sorts of conversations is the the political grenade that gets lobbed into the equation at some point and makes everybody start saying certain things. Uh, but I, I guess uh, to cap it, and then I'll take a break and we'll get on to other stuff on a uh, Thursday show. Uh, I do want to talk a couple times about going to Bartonville and actually hanging out and being part of an auction uh, where I bought some stuff and, and then had a crazy amount of money uh, that I want not like high amount of money, just unique a uh, number uh, that I put up on my Facebook page. I wanted to tell you the story of that in a bit, uh, but I'll just say this: is that I think the more politics gets removed from those escapes or those things that are supposed to be escapes in our society, the more likely the people benefit themselves behind them. Uh, I think if people don't care enough about actors walking off sets, it's because a whole lot of people on a political side of the aisle uh, that feel like uh, Hollywood doesn't like or care about them at all anymore, and for the most part, they're right, they don't, uh, aren't going to care about this. And it's funny, um, I'll just say one last thing, uh, when players and owners fight in the world of baseball, one of the big objectives, it seems, is to convince the fans which side is, is the side to be cheering for. Uh, they care about the fans when they're playing uh, in the uh, in the you know stadiums, uh, in the uh, playoffs, whatever that is uh, that you want to describe it as, uh, when they're actually um, participating in the games. And they also care about the fans when they're shaping uh, what side of an argument uh, you're hoping you see win. And so I think Hollywood is hoping that people care. And if less people care, it's bad for Hollywood. All right, quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. I love going to the VFW in Peoria Heights. I highly recommend it. You should go uh, check it out for multiple reasons. 
Uh, first and foremost, it's a bar with uh, bartenders who actually pay attention to stuff. Uh, so they'll remember you. If you go in multiple times, you'll say hi to Jen, Trish, and all of the team. Uh, and they'll probably remember your drink, and they might even put it on the counter when you walk in. Or at least they do that for me, which is very nice. Uh, you can actually even get a Craig Collins drink. Uh, they have one uh, that the uh, quartermaster, Eric, made uh, that I had uh, several of. It's a summertime drink is how he describes it, a vodka lemonade. I recommend you try that, too. Uh, but the other great reason to go to the bar is to connect with people who are doing good things in our community. Uh, those bartenders and the people behind the VFW in Peoria Heights care. And a whole lot of the money that they bring in, uh, whether it's through the gaming machines or uh, people showing up for events that they host in the back, uh, they have a big giant uh, banquet area that people can host events at, uh, they turn that money around uh, beyond just sustaining the bar, and they, they do a lot of philanthropic things. You've heard a bunch of interviews I've done on the show with people uh, connected to the VFW who've helped others. We gave a, a Vietnam veteran a car. I say we because I was there, and I, I, we, I, we did a tiny bit. I did a tiny bit, but that was just one example. Uh, there's been a bunch. Uh, so go check them out, 1505 East Lake Avenue, uh, Peoria Heights, Illinois, or just give them a call, uh, 309-682-9875, 309-682-9875, and be like, hey, why does Collins uh, talk about you so much on the radio? I, I like them. I think they're awesome, and I think the work they're doing is cool. Uh, other stuff out there, just quickly, uh, before we take a break, and then we'll come back, and we have a whole bunch of of other politics to get into. Uh, Chip Roy uh, really amused me uh, with something that he said uh, the other day. And then actually I'm enjoying some of the debates going on in the world of the economy. I, I love a CNN. Maybe I'll do that. No, I'll wait. I'm going to wait till after the news to do it. So 15 minutes or so. I love a CNN back and forth uh, talking about how great things are in our, our world, in the economy, uh, for you and I, like just in general. Uh, why are people complaining? Why are we saying that things aren't great? Uh, because it's so easy to shoot holes. And what they're saying and so sort of ridiculous uh, the way they position it. But again, I'm saving it. I'll do that in a bit. Um, one of the hottest items for Prime Day has surprised people. Uh, one of the biggest sellers was cat treats, um, temptations, cat treats that were, I guess, uh, discounted significantly. Although, again, uh, cat treats, not terribly expensive. Uh, so I don't know if it was like a big I, I didn't buy any cat treats uh, myself. Other items that cat treats beat out included Amazon products like the Fire Stick. Um, there are speakers, uh, smart speakers that you can tell to play a WMBD radio if you bought any. Uh, also, some uh, liquid IV hydrogen packets, uh, which are apparently something you just put in water. I, I used to do that with, like, whatever the squirt thing was. I can't even remember the name of it. But the little thing that you'd buy at the store, it was, like, sitting right at the checkout counter with everything else. And then you just – it's supposed to be healthier. I also did Soda Stream for a while. I've abandoned both those things. But I think a liquid IV hydration packets are a similar thing. And then there were some toys that also did well on this list. Melissa and Doug is a toy company uh, that sold several of its products um, and then some even beauty products. But I thought it was interesting that one of the biggest purchases uh, this year on Amazon Prime Day was Temptations Cat Treats. Uh, the average product cost about 30 bucks. Only 5% cost more than $100 for things that were discounted. Roughly 60% of people who made a purchase uh, bought more than one thing. Of course they did. Uh, that's probably what everybody – I'm would. i surprised it's only 60% actually because I would have thought everybody would be too tempted to go for a second round. 14% uh, bought five or more items. 44% spent at least $100. The average total spent was 150 because people went nuts. We did not spend a lot of money on Amazon Prime, and I told you you should shop local. Uh, local is better for our own economy here, um, you know, the way in which it benefits us. 
uh, if people shop here in the area, and yet I couldn't I couldn't fight it. The, the fingers um, decided to make some purchases on their own. I promise it wasn't me. Nothing big. We bought very cheap little stuff, uh, like four or five items that were all like 15 bucks each uh, between my wife and I. Uh, around 80% of all Prime shoppers were women. Uh, men aren't really into this is what it says, unless you're an older person. Uh, then actually uh, men spike quite a bit for having just as much interest as ladies. So young dudes don't care about saving money. Uh, that feels like that makes sense to me, too, because uh, I'm late 30s, getting closer to my 40s. I would rather not spend uh, maximum dollars on things that I don't need that much, kind of want, uh, which is essentially, I think, most of what we bought. Um, but when I was younger, probably didn't care as much about that. Uh, Two-thirds of shoppers said they were satisfied with the deal this year. A third said they weren't. So you buy the thing, you get it, and you're like, ah, oh, man, this is still terrible. Uh, but again, probably shopping local uh, still good for us. Hard to ignore Prime Day. I saw this out there. A YouTuber recently bought an old nuclear silo in Nebraska and turned it into a home. It might sound appealing to some people. It might sound not appealing at all to others. Uh, but it's now again on the market for $750,000. Uh, the guy paid five fifty, and he wants to flip it for a $200,000 profit. Uh, I think it's something he might do a bit of. Uh, also, it was built in an Army Corps uh, engineers um, uh, silo, so it's uh, capable of withstanding a nuclear attack. If that's something you need. Uh, there's other things that are prepped into it, too. It's about 1,250 square feet of living space, so it's not a very huge living space. Uh, the bottom of the silo is even filled with water. It looks like you uh, put a little raft in there to paddle around if you want to have some fun, if you want to you know, take a break uh, during your silo days. I don't know why anyone would spend a lot of money on this unless you're a giant fan of this guy, uh, but he, he was very proud of it, and he put it out there. I think there might even be some audio. I can play a little bit of audio of uh, this guy talking about selling it. Um, and again, I, I, you do whatever you want with your money. This wouldn't be the first home of choice for me. Uh, not, not close. I wanted to sell it as a turnkey. You could literally live down there if you wanted to property. Movie theater screen and popcorn machine and foosball table. I thought if you're going to stay underground, you, you need to have a little extra things to make it feel <laughs> you know more comfortable. Uh -huh, yeah, you do. If you're going to live underground in a silo, you need some stuff like a pool table to make it more, more fun. Uh, but also you wonder, why am I living in this and not a, not a house? Uh, but maybe some people think it's cool. Maybe there's there's military out there that would think this is cool. And I, I accept that. I understand that. It's not number one choice for me is what I'm saying. Um, I thought this was interesting. A poll was put out online asking people. I think Daily Mail did this. Uh, Daily Mail is in the U.K. It's sort of a tabloid. It's pretty much a tabloid. Uh, but they asked people, what do you do to stay cool in the summer? And the answer is all over the place. Uh, drinking uh, lots of stuff with ice in it was number one. That seems easy. That seems logical. Uh, eating ice cream was number two on the list. Also fine. Uh, my wife and I love – I wish it was easier. We love to go on a walk for ice cream. Uh, in Mexico, there's a little ice cream shop, uh, well, like a tiny little boutique thing, like four blocks from my wife's house. And it's really fun to, like, go out, walk, especially with her, like, nieces and nephews, uh, walk down the street, grab ice cream, walk back home. It's not quite as easy to do it in the place that we live here, and I wish it was because there's something unique. Like after I buy ice cream, I don't want to get in a car and drive home. I want to walk with it. I don't know what that says about me or why, uh, but that is something people do. Sleeping naked is another one that's on this list. Came in at number three, uh, or at least in your underwear. Uh, close windows and curtains to keep yourself cool and keep the sunlight out is number four. Uh, there was a rogue option, though. Cold showers, by the way, number five. Uh, but there was a, a surprising one on the list. Uh, and it said that what you should really do, 
<laughs> I don't know why I'm going to say this. Shave your entire body uh, was was on the list of things people suggested to do. It didn't make the top 10. It was just off the beaten path a little bit. I think 4% of people actually gave it as an answer, which is higher than it should be. Uh, but shave everything. Uh, turn yourself into, what is it, a seal that has no hair? And then apparently you'll be much, much cooler in that world, too. Man, I wish I had a friend who did that. Like one buddy who's like, oh, man, you don't know what my hack is for the summer. I just I shave myself completely. <laughs> That'd be so funny to hear someone who actually did that say that and be proud of that. And you'd be like, all right, man, I got to go. I, we're probably not going to talk for a little bit, but uh, I'll see you. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Uh, that's that's a weird that's a weird move. I'm going to say that again. Uh, and I love the fact that it's it's out there as an option. And people are just suggesting it. You know, you, you choose your own adventure is the way that it works. If you like that idea, run with it. If not, move on to the next thing. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I don't know if what I'm about to say is somehow going to be a hot take, uh, but it might be a hot take. And if it's a hot take, oh, well, uh, let's live in that world. First, I want to play some audio. Uh, this is CNN. Uh, they're doing an interview. They got a guest on. They're talking about how things are great. And it's crazy that you and I and everybody doesn't see the economy as awesome uh, since Biden is now running on uh, Bidenomics and telling us how great of a job he's done with the economy. Again, uh, essentially, the position that Democrats are going to start taking is confusion as to why anyone is upset, say that things cost way more money than they used to cost and that wages have not gone up anywhere near as much as inflation has gone up. But I'll get to I'll get to my response. Uh, first, I want to play this audio, and then eventually I'll demonstrate what I think could be a hot take. But I don't know. Let's check this out. I talk to a lot of people. Why do they think things are, you know, good right now? Well, things are actually really good uh, if you're objective about it. By the way, that second voice is William Cohen, the founding partner of Puck News. Unemployment, as you said, is as low as, as it's been ever. So good. 3.7 percent. Inflation is coming down rapidly. The number today, I think, really surprised economists, surprised government officials, surprised the market. The market was up today as well. In fact, since the Fed mm -hmm. has been raising interest rates yeah. over a year ago, right. the S&P 500 is actually up 3 percent. They're crushing it. Uh, the economy is, is going uh, gangbusters. Why would anyone anywhere, especially the general just voting public people, be at all mad with anything that's occurred over the last couple of years uh, since President Biden took office and waged a war on energy? And that was a part of I know it wasn't all of and I know people will get mad and call me a one sided political nut job or whatever. No, actually, barely anyone ever calls me that uh, if I say it the other way, that it was mostly uh, Biden's war on energy that cost uh, prices of things to skyrocket as much as they did. But here's the easy uh, response, especially to the thing that's most often cited as the biggest win for this president, a win that the uh, last president, that President Trump also uh, touted a lot, that unemployment numbers were way down. Uh, Trump talked about that often when he was in office, and Biden talks about that often, or at least uh, people on CNN do. And now here's and this might be the hot take in a world where wages have not caught up with inflation. Two things are occurring very obviously, very simplistically, uh, that you and I should be able to identify and say, hey, that's why these things are occurring together. Companies are making more money off of the products because the products cost more and they're paying their staff less for those products, whatever the products might be. Uh, the amount of money coming in is now much, much better than it was before. And the amount of money going out is sort of relatively the same, if not slightly different uh, than before. And so I'm not uh, waging this uh, fight in the way of, you know, send everybody's wages upward 
Although it would be nice if wages went upward, but then prices will keep going upward with wages. That's uh, a byproduct of that world. It's just going to keep happening. Uh, the costs always get passed on to the consumer. Uh, but the bragging about the 3% uh, unemployment rate uh, does seem to be ignoring the fact that because of things like inflation, uh, that is something that companies are capable of doing and also something people would be desperate to have. Because you might have just said in response to my, my take, Greg, what? What are you talking about? Why would that force more people into the job market if companies aren't spending as much for those people? Well, maybe they're making uh, lower level positions more readily available at smaller amounts of money uh, to compensate for the loss of anyone else within staff that might have gone away because of, well, COVID. Uh, one of the things that probably hurt a lot of jobs. But the other reason uh, that people might be working is you simply can't afford to live without a job, uh, which is something that people might argue is, is a benefit, uh, that you can't live off of, uh, say, uh, unemployment any longer uh, compared to before because the cost of everything is way, way up. So the people who are most likely uh, to be the ones that are the most frustrated uh, right now in our economy are people who actually often vote for uh, more social services and whatnot who are, are typically Democrats, uh, people who get upset uh, with some of those things being an argument Republicans make. But isn't it all just simply logical uh, to think that if, if wages are down and if the cost of things is still up and inflation can go down and still be high as far as the cost of things still being much different than they were just a couple years ago, uh, the overall net um, uh, money that you make right now is less than it was when Trump was in office, no matter what the Biden administration tells you or any uh, Republican uh, tries to convince you. Um, and I know that they'd be trying much harder to tell you the truth in that situation because uh, cost of things were different and wages were, were better uh, comparably. So right now, if you actually look at the real uh, amount of money that you take in and the real amount of money that you have to spend to get your regular stuff, uh, you're doing worse. We're all doing worse. It's that simplistic. You don't have to say it with all these other stupid things uh, tied in. You don't have to tout the unemployment rate and say, why wouldn't somebody who goes to the grocery store, spends more money, comes home and has to figure out how to move things around so that they make it another month, uh, not understand that the economy is actually great and that they should be happy with the work we've done and how great it's gone uh, because the unemployment rate is low and was low uh, during a lot of uh, Trump's time in office, COVID, uh, certainly an exception to that rule. Uh, but I, I don't think you could blame that on a president uh, that a whole bunch of people lost their jobs uh, during COVID. Uh, I know some people might try, but I really don't think you can. Uh, other things out there that I think are interesting, uh, just to play real quick. Uh, this is our current president. Uh, he is speaking to a reporter, um, and I think the reporter is from uh, Finland who's asking this question. And she's talking about uh, Ukraine, of course, and about the potential moves of people in the world of our our government, the next presidential election specifically. Uh, but the answer Biden gave was weird. Uh, let's try this. Are you worried that the political instability in the U.S. will cause issues in the alliance in the future? Let me be clear. I didn't say we didn't guarantee it. We couldn't guarantee the future. You can't tell me whether you're going to be able to go home tonight. No one can be sure what they're going to do. All right. Is that a normal thing we say here in the United States when you're trying to, like, win an argument against somebody and they're trying to, to say, like, this is terrible or that's horrible, and you try to jump the, the gun by saying uh, or, or whatever uh, the, the phrase um, of choice should be here? Uh, you try to say, well, look, you don't even know what tomorrow brings. You could you could have something terrible happen to you uh, right after you walk out of this building. And then, of course, uh, your whole life is is different and your priorities are different. Uh, but in other countries, I think they see that as a threat. 
uh, especially some countries where politicians off people. So when a reporter gets up and asks a question and they're not from the United States, or even if they were, I feel like some reporters would consider this a threat and then get told that you're not sure if you're going to make it home tonight. I feel like it's going to be a unique thing uh, that's put in a paper and written about uh, wherever that reporter, again, uh, is putting up their column. I think, again, uh, that it might be in Finland. I think there was a local uh, reporter asking a question. They'd be like, I think Biden threatened my life. I'm not sure. It feels kind of like that occurred. Uh, so odd, odd answer to a question. I don't think uh, Biden's about to offer a reporter. I'm just saying that that's not the road I would have gone if I was answering that question to her. You don't know, you might die uh, at any point. So really, uh, why are you asking me any of this stuff? And I think it is a valuable question uh, for reporters to be asking is what happens as far as support to Ukraine, et cetera, if somebody else gets in office, especially a Republican, especially Trump or DeSantis or anyone uh, like that. And the reason why I think it's such a valuable question is I, I think that some of that um, support might stop, but it might wind up actually causing the end of the conflict. And I know that's a hot take, and that's actually the hottest take I put out there. Uh, Ukraine is waging the war the way they're waging it right now. Uh, creating more and more opportunities for counteroffensives to try to take back contested areas or even Crimea. And I talk about this nonstop on my show because of the amount of military support they're getting from us. If the military support were more limited uh, to only allow Ukraine to defend itself uh, from continued attacks against Russia, which might prolong the war, uh, but it might also make Ukraine give up on the desire for counteroffensives, which means that a agreement uh, which might feel like Putin had won something to Ukraine. And I get that. And I personally would would think that, you know, if I was Ukrainian, I'd be I'd be livid about the idea of that. And Zelensky has said that they wouldn't feel like that's a win. But in the world of the United States and other countries, that should have been the goal from jump, protect Ukraine from being taken uh, by Russia and not necessarily fund a counteroffensive uh, with Ukraine to fight Russia in places that they had long been fighting in in the first place. Uh, that that was, I think, the, the mission statement. And it's, it's changing, and it's odd that it's changing, and it's changing because uh, no one outside of Ukraine is capable enough of vocalizing uh, some of those things. And so I do think that the Republican side of the aisle is more likely to pull back on some of that funding, even though there are a lot of Republicans that say, and a lot of Republican voices that say, and I'm one of them that says, that you would not allow Russia to take Ukraine. That would be uh, bad. That would be something you continue to to prevent through uh, giving uh, Ukraine the resources uh, to defend itself. But again, those conversations are ever-changing. All right. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I want to do something on the show every once in a while. It's called I Get One, You Get One. Uh, I get one topic about baseball or about the Yankees or about something in that world, especially with the uh, trade deadline and all those things uh, being a, a popular part of, of the world of baseball. And then I'll give you something that's not about that, uh, something that's about something else. Uh, but I, I get one, then you get one. Please uh, stay with I'll do mine quick, I promise. Um, I, I like this a lot. Uh, this is Buster Olney doing an interview saying that Shohei Otani is going to be a Yankee if he's made available uh, by the Angels at the trade deadline. Uh, he says there's some other teams that might be in the mix, but it'd be ridiculous to think that anybody but the Yankees I would get Shohei. I know that back in the day when uh, the boss, when George uh, Steinbrenner owned the team, yes, is, is true. If Shohei became available, we would give them everything. We'd probably trade almost everyone outside of Aaron Judge over to the other team, uh, the Angels, in order to get Shohei. But here, here's the take, and I love it, and I'm excited about uh, the movement of a player who's very, very good at stuff on both sides of the ball. If Otani is traded yes. before the deadline, what teams would be most likely to go after him? 
Well, you start with the Yankees, the Yankees, the yes. Yankees, the yes, Yankees, sir. the Rangers, <laughs> please, yes. the Rays. No, Maybe a small handful Don't, of teams, but there's the no doubt. You talked with sources yesterday. They see the Yankees as potentially being the most motivated desperate. because Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, uh-huh. Giancarlo Stanton, they're middle-aged players right in the, the prime of their careers. Yeah, no, Giancarlo's not in the prime of his career right now. I would say he's on the wrong side of it. Uh, but yes, to uh, Aaron Judge, and certainly Garrett Cole is still very, very good. I started the All-Star game. But the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees, uh, that makes me excited. All right, that was one for me. That, that's all I had. I could do more, but I won't because I understand uh, you don't care as much as I do. Now one for you. I think this is – maybe it's not for everybody actually, uh, but I find this one very interesting. So this is like a, a partly for me, partly for you. Uh, There's a hot take out there in the world from millennials as to what's causing people to not date each other as much as they used to. Uh, If you've heard, um, dating is down. Uh, People are not in serious relationships. The apps might be a part of that, all the dating apps and the way that people uh, find uh, what are not serious relationships now. Uh, But actually, this to me is hilarious, and it's by both a food writer and then a dating expert on social media who said it. Uh, They think that it's the bottomless mimosa brunch. That's the reason that dating is down, uh, because this is something that ladies do. Uh, They go to brunch. Uh, They like to go to brunch a lot, and sometimes I guess they drink uh, when they go to brunch. And a bunch of companies have versions of of discounts for that, uh, where women all go and and catch up with each other. And men are not invited to that. And men don't want to go to that is the other part of it. Uh, Bottomless brunch has never excited me. There's never been a time in my life where someone said, let's go grab brunch, and I've been as excited as anyone I know uh, that is, well, not me. Um, I'm, it's just not a thing that seems very happy or, or it's, it's fine. It's, you know, we're sit there. I could be doing other stuff, uh, but all right, let's do this. Um, but I love that because there are also uh, things that people would spend their money on. And in today's world, the argument goes uh, women are paying for dates as much as men are, uh, which I don't know if that's true. That's interesting if that's true. Uh, but because of that and because of one of the most expensive and popular things uh, for ladies to do with their money uh, being brunch, dating is down. Again, I said it was hot take, and it's not mine, and I find it hilarious. And I, I would love to know if there's any, any chance that that's accurate, uh, that the uh, likelihood of hanging out and doing brunch is what's really causing all the problems uh, because we can just do away with brunch, and that'll be fine for me and fine for probably a lot of people. Actually, tell me, 309-340-4464. On a scale of 1 to 10, how sad you'd be if there was no more brunches. If people weren't doing that, I would love to know. 309, 340. All right, that one might not have totally been for you any more than me. Uh, Let's try this one. I I thought this was interesting, too. Uh, Millennials are very upset about something else. Uh, They're very upset that in the early 2000s, celebrities were criticized more uh, for their body uh, than they are now. Apparently, they're sharing uh, viral photos, videos, uh, interviews, whatever it might be. Uh, Jessica Simpson is one person that's getting shared a lot on social media uh, because at one point she was being criticized for gaining weight uh, in the early 2000s. And millennials and actually Gen Z are both saying how upset, how mad they are about all this and how it's all uh, very, um, you know, uh, phobic of of things and how uh, mainstream uh, social media, whatever it is, mainstream, I think, coverage of these celebrities uh, makes people very mad. Uh, Here's what I think of that. Uh, what I think of that is, is the same way I think about when athletes actually get criticized for uh, gaining weight, is being elite in a certain world, whatever that world might be, modeling, celebrity, um, elite in the world of athletics, again, is more uh, how I focus sometimes on things. It means that you're dedicating a lot of your life to being in a certain type of shape, uh, at least in the world of an athlete, to be the best of the best, the best you can be. Uh, that is an important aspect for it. 
an important byproduct of desiring to be that. And what I think is kind of funny about this, and I'm a millennial and seeing a lot of this reaction out there, is that we started to identify ourselves at some point as celebrities. I don't know when that happened. I don't know when people in their own minds are like, oh, that person getting criticized is the same as me getting criticized in my own life. Because it's not. We are not the same as celebrities uh, because we're not trying to be at the absolute upper echelon of eliteness in the world of being put in movies or TV shows. And I think that there are requirements on dudes as much as on ladies uh, to be or look a certain way uh, to be cast in these in these movies and these TV shows and all these other things. And I, I know there's exceptions to the rule on both sides, but I do think there's a lot of very good looking people. Uh, who wind up in a lot of those positions, and I don't think that that is a, a you know, whoopsie-daisy kind of thing. And so I just find it – is it good to have articles out there uh, that people are criticizing where they called uh, Jessica Simpson Jumbo Je Jessica? No, probably not. Uh, but it also isn't the same as someone saying something to you, attacking you, making fun of you, or trying to make you feel bad about who you are. I don't know why we identify – uh, with celebrities so much. I, I'm being honest about that. And I don't, I don't even know if we, we do as much anymore. Uh, and maybe that's because we all have our own accounts. And, and maybe that's why um, Gen Z or millennials are saying that the world has changed and people see uh, less stories and headlines and attacks like this. I, I don't know. Uh, but just that idea, again, that, that at some point, if someone was criticized in some way, that it makes you mad because you feel like you're as much a target. as uh, We do that with politics, too. Uh, we often identify, I think, with the politicians uh, that we vote for, the politicians we vote against, and we're not those people, and they don't have our best interests at heart a, a large majority of the time. And so I just, I just find it interesting. I'm not necessarily defending uh, the ways of the past. That's not the intention of this segment. Uh, but the amount of anger uh, that's coming out in people and how um, they're reacting to, to things that existed before, uh, a reason for that is that very few people – uh, looked all that different from others, just like with athletes. If you see a, a large majority of athletes in any sport, uh, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, they all kind of look the same in very good physical shape. And the reason that they're all in very good physical shape is it's a byproduct of, of wanting to be elite and not, you know, not playing in that sport anymore. I don't know. That was my own take, my own uh, sort of fascination with how viral those posts are on social media, on Twitter specifically. Uh, which, by the way, I keep hearing people say is just full of vitriol and horrible, terrible things. And how can you wade through any of it to use it anymore? And then people are going viral right now on my Twitter feed, seeing it all the time, trying to complain and push back against what they think are, are awful and horrible things that were discussed and talked about uh, years ago, uh, several years ago. Uh, that's viral. That's out there. I see that. I didn't have to wade through to find uh, those messages on those things. So, again, I think that's kind of interesting, too. All right. We'll take a break. Now, after the break, I will talk a little bit about uh, some of the things going on that I, I said Chip Roy um, really sort of entertained me in a take he had on the floor today. So I'll play that audio, and we'll cover some of the bigger news stories, including even the White House uh, putting their hands in the air, the Secret Service, and being like, we tried, guys. We gave it a full week to figure out whose cocaine this is, and now we give up completely. 1470, 100.3 WMED, Craig Collins Show. That's my wife, Betty. She's in studio. A couple things to talk about. How are you doing, Betty, today? Good, Craig. How are you? You said you're tired today. You said it's been – it's a Thursday. You're getting ready for the end. Okay, turn off your microphone so you can cough a little bit. All right, there you go. I love how you just did that. You just sort of struggled through not coughing and looked at me, and you did like panic hands. <laughs> yes. You were like, no, 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 not now. 
And then I turned your microphone off, and then you coughed real I'm not ready. Sweet. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. That was amazing. The panic hands was awesome. <laughs> I'm sad this is radio for a second there because people should have seen that. I, I freak out. Yeah. yeah, you acted like if you had coughed into that mic, which was very professional of you. Way job. Way, a very good job. Uh, way to go. I don't know what I'm trying to say now. But you acted like it would have been like the end of the world. And a bunch of guests cough into microphones all the time. So way to go, Betty. Thank uh, you. You're Thank way you, more professional every day even than me, I think. Um, but you said that it's, you know, toward the end of the week. You were even saying yesterday that it was a Wednesday and you had a, that Wednesday feel to it. Uh, but last yeah. night we had we did something fun uh, that I think you kind of enjoyed. Actually, my favorite part, and I'll, I'll tell it after you tell your experience, is what happened at the end of the event. Because there's something that happened at the end of what we went to last night that was by far uh, just Betty being Betty, and it was adorable. Uh, but we went to the um, the Brooks auction in Bartonville. Uh, there were a lot of people there that recognized us and listened to the show every day and say that they, they hear us. And they even said you should talk about this. So I brought you. I've been there a couple times now. What did you think of the, the auction and just trying to figure out what was even for sale? <laughs> it was pretty fun. I met uh, Hannah on the entrance. Mm-hmm. She told us I was like uh, that she listened to the show. And I was really glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very sweet. And uh, it was like a pretty new experience for me. I never been in an auction before, not even in like in my country. So I think I seen them in uh, on TV, mm-hmm. like in Spanish, but never been in one uh, here. Well, the first thing that's awesome is the auctioneer. Uh, the yes, way that the auctioneer yes, talks, yes. the way he goes like, three, 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 four, yes. four, four, five, five, five. Eight. Yeah, so my brain, my little hamster in my <laughs> brain, I was like, okay, I got, I got, I, yeah. I can do this. I can, right. I can, I can. They should get, get a, a second Spanish language guy standing up there just for Betty <laughs> no. so they can do it a second no, time. No, I, I was just like, at the beginning, I, I was kind of like, uh, cutting up with, with all the mm-hmm. words that he was saying, he should be a radio guy too. Yes, like, he should. Uh, I probably has been yes, at some point probably, in his life. Yeah. Probably, pretty right. good. And I, you told me like they had to have like a, a level of experience mm-hmm. like with the, the stuff that they yeah. like. Um, I think they have to have somewhat of a familiarity with like the actual costs of things when yes. they're starting the price because the auctioneer yes. is the one who starts the first price that people can bid on before lowering the price. And the cool thing about that auction um, is there's three different areas where stuff is going to be coming from. Yeah. So it feels very active. You go from one spot to, you know, turn to the right, turn to the left to see something else. And it's it's all kinds of things. Uh, a friend of ours, um, Michael, as yeah. we always call him, Michael, yeah, Michael. Uh, goes very often. He told me they've auctioned cars. Like each yes. week, you kind of roll in and you don't know. Yeah, what's he, be had, on the, he even yeah. told me it was like just stand up and go around, and I was like, uh, Look am, at I, stuff. "Am I allowed to do that?" And yeah. you were like, "Yes, we are supposed to like buy or like." Yeah, we're at least. Uh, and so I, I the first time I went, I was like you. I'm like, I need one to season myself. And actually, that's what they said when they were leaving. They're like, yes. the first one, it's probably just to like looking around. You don't have to buy a lot. You yeah. don't really know what's going on. Yeah. The second one, the third one, you become a pro, and then you start elbowing people to make sure yes, to win your stuff. Yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. But we spent uh, fourteen dollars. Uh, I bought a set. Fourteen seventy. Well, right. <laughs> I spent. A, I spent. A, I bought a set of speakers, and then I bought a, um, uh, a computer screen. A computer screen that's sitting in front of me right now, because uh, the screen that I used to use in the studio was way too big, and this one's smaller and less crazy. So I felt yeah. like it was better. And I spent, as I said, fourteen bucks, and then I, I paid with a card. I didn't bring cash. So it was fourteen seventy exactly, which was awesome. And it yeah. entertained me. It entertained some other people. I put it up on Facebook. You can see uh, my receipt from the Brooks auction. Uh, but it is a, a pretty fun thing to go to. It is a fun experience. Yeah. Just even just to like kind of like get out of the ordinary and check mm-hmm. like a new stuff and realize that you can actually get like a pretty good deals without like a 
going to Walmart or like right. uh, or yeah. get new stuff, you know? Well, and I don't know if it's because like I like gambling. Uh, I like playing poker a lot. There's something about the competitiveness of the environment too. Like I actually wanted to bid whenever everybody was bidding on stuff, even if I didn't want the thing. Yes. Like whenever it, it yes. wound up being a bunch of people, I was like, I want to throw one in there. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah, and there are such a characters, people who are like betting. Uh, uh, a lot? The, the way, yeah, a lot. Yeah. The way that they do it, like they just know their heads or mm -hmm. like they raise the hand uh, or yes. then just like with just with uh just like a glint of like the eyes like hey this is mine <laughs> yes you know? i did notice that the regulars who seem to be going to the brooks auction a lot uh which is uh 5901 south washington uh 5901 washington in bartonville on wednesdays i think it starts at five it ends around like eight or something yeah they all had their own way to to say yes yeah they're to, pros right but they all had a signature like as yes. you said some guys yes. nodded we need a signature yes. we need like you know wave the hands back and forth or something i don't know and i kind of i like, was pointing like a couple of times to like some of the items that i like and mm -hmm. you kept telling me like pull your hand down they're yeah. gonna oh, yeah. think that you're <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah that was, that was my second favorite part is is during the auction every time that someone picked up an item that you liked and they were already in the process of bidding on it you would point at it and i was like oh man that really looks like you're <laughs> yes. bidding so yeah but my favorite my favorite thing is what happened at the end so we're walking out of the brooks auction and uh, there's this whole giant uh, area where they're going to eventually have to get rid of stuff. Yeah. I guess people didn't bid on it. You know, eventually that's the last line of defense before it, it winds up in a trash heap somewhere. And that was the stuff that you became the most interested in. <laughs> yes. you, you picked through yes. that area. Yeah. And I walked back into the auction. I'm like, hey, guys, what do I do about the stuff that's that's outside? And they're like, well, it goes to the trash. Yep. So yeah. soon it's just going to be abandoned by us. And I'm like, can I give you a few dollars and can Betty just take stuff? And they're like, yeah, give us a little bit of money. Yeah. Not that they even wanted the money. And then you took like three or four things off the trash heap. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the thing. That's uh -huh. the thing that I told Michael. It's like, you know what? Uh, this is not trash. Like, this is like a lot of stuff that is reusable. And they were like... A, pretty uh, like a lot of items that they were like literally in nice condition that you can just like wash them and reduce it yes and uh, you don't have to buy and or, or spend your money on any of like i don't know plates or silver uh uh things Stuff. from from yeah. the yes so yeah i i was just browsing like it well, was free <laughs> also also you're uh, kind of sad sometimes that stuff eventually lands in the trash so it was almost yes. like you were trying to island yes. and misfit toys it and find the last things left that you could take home so yes. that they didn't wind up in the trash well, and also it just it was also like like the history behind the items mm -hmm. there were like a lot of photographs for people like who knows like probably they live here in peoria sure. or they uh, a lot of items ended in that table but like super old like from right. the 1940s, 50s of right. photographs yeah. that I was like, I wonder. Right. You know? And I did discourage you from taking home like someone's graduation photo from the 70s <laughs> no, that we don't no, know. No. But, we, you no, know, it was no. sad. I agree with you to no. see some of that stuff there. But there are state sales. And all. I don't know how Brooks Auction and Appraisals gets all the stuff they auction off. I would I would probably need to have them on as a guest at some point yeah, probably and talk about could. it. But it is fun. And it I do I do get competitive. Yes. And there were only a few items that went pretty high. In price, so it's pretty affordable auction too. I'd encourage a people typewriter. to go. A typewriter. Yeah. It was super nice. A typewriter, like a, a history of Peoria uh, yes. typewriter item. Um, yeah. I can't remember exactly who created it, but it was it was a pretty significant thing, and it went pretty cheap compared to yeah. what I think it's actually yeah. worth. 
Uh, but I encourage people to go out and eventually see the aggressive version of Betty when you've been to four <laughs> or five of those. Because there were items that people would bid on and they'd get for like five or six bucks. And you'd be so sad because you wanted them. Yeah. And you didn't say it till the bidding was over. Yes. Yeah, which was, yes. there was, yes, there was one like item I, specifically. I was a newbie and yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm totally like behind on this like. Um, yeah, there was one table that someone was carrying out after they won it that you were looking at that woman like, like I yes, wish I had gotten I that wish, table. I like I jumped to that table. <laughs> that, may be, that may be amused. All right. Um, uh, also, we got to talk just quickly. We're running out of time, and we got to get to your word of the day about the movie George. Yes, we Greg, went to go see uh, it. I wasn't here Monday because uh, you you, ha- you had mm-hmm. a guest here, mm-hmm. so I was like, okay. Maybe some other day. So, but, but <laughs> you could be on at a different time, Betty. Yeah. Oh yeah, but but they, I left. Cause yeah, you did all see. Yeah, there that part. Yes, you also yes, left. I yeah, left. okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we went on Sunday to watch the movie. Mm-hmm. It was. I, I thought like the, there would be more people. We were just like you and me. So mm-hmm. I encourage people. Oh okay, yeah. You guys haven't seen the movie, George? Go and check it out. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I was I was tearing up. I was crying a little. You did. Early. Yes. You cried several times yes. throughout the movie. Yes. Uh, it's great. It's very well done. Yeah. Um, it's the story of uh, one of uh, like the people uh, to know in Peoria, uh, yeah. George and his shoe shine um, world headquarters, uh, right yeah. here about a block around from us, George Manius. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was as great as you thought it was, and I was a little disappointed. And it says nothing about George. I think just the time we chose, the day we chose, all that stuff uh, might have been. And it's been out for six months. Uh, but yeah, the theater was not well, many people in it, uh, yeah. and so you know it was. There's something fun about that too, though. Actually, I saw a Tom Hanks movie totally alone. Yeah, this was before you and I were dating. I showed up at a at a movie theater for like a matinee show, and it was Terminal was the movie, the one where Tom Hanks plays a guy who gets stuck in an airport. For an yeah. entire like an entire movie, and I was totally alone in the theater. And I remember at one point standing up and asking the guy if he could pause it, and he was like, "No, I can't no, do that." Can, I was like, "Come on, man, I gotta go to the bathroom." And I'm like, "Can you pause it?" No. Um, but yes, people should see George, award-winning yeah. film, and like Betty a was super high-quality or like video videography and photography, and then you can meet literally, uh, you can see uh, George family from Greek. Yeah, uh, there is like a. Manny's daughter and some relatives and scenes from Greek. Pretty, pretty cool movie. Yeah, it seems like you want to go to Greece now uh, yes. because of that. And you also were reminded of, like, gatherings with your family. And yes, there were even course. There were homemade alcoholic beverages uh, that people <laughs> yes. had there, which yes. definitely reminds you of Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, I think people make homemade tequila and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. I've been handed a water bottle that somebody told me was yes. awesome. Out, and then it usually was. And I didn't drink it alone, by the way. And when he thinks the gringo got teased into drinking something he shouldn't, I would watch several family members sip from that bottle before I tried any because I don't want to get in trouble for a mistake like that. Um, before we go, what's the word of the day? You have a word of the day for today, Betty? Uh, corre caminos. Okay. Uh, what does that word mean? Corre caminos is, uh, I don't know how, how you say it, uh, corre caminos in English. It's a cartoon. Oh, well, actually, it's an animal. And I'm I'm pretty sure he, he, that this animal has like a scientific. I know, I know what you're talking about. Uh, a roadrunner. Yes, so yes, it's, from the it's cartoons. Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yes, yes. And it is a Corey Caminos. <laughs> yes, Craig. Say it again. Corey Caminos. Corre. I can't roll my corre, R. Corre. You know I can't roll my R. You set me up into this world. I can't do the array. Sorry, Craig, but you gotta try it. Corre Caminos. Corre Caminos. Okay, there you go. You're doing it better than me. But that's Roadrunner. You like the Roadrunner, right? Oh, I love, I love those okay. cartoons as a child. I used to watch them all the time in Spanish. Your favorite one was Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, see. Si. You still like Tom and Jerry now? Yeah. yeah I like how you just said C to me yeah. in response <laughs> yes. to that. Yes, yeah, still, still watching are those they, cartoons whenever I can. Are they called Tom and Jerry in, in Mexico? 
Sí. Yeah, just, the same. just say it the way yeah. that you guys say it there. Yeah, yeah. It's just like uh, Bar Simpson, Homero Simpson. Homero Simpson. Yeah. yeah, we call him Homer. Homer, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a lot of similarities yes, on, the, yes. on the words. And but. Tom and Jerry is one of your favorite ones. Yeah. yeah. They didn't have another name for that cartoon? It was just Tom, Tom? and Jerry, no. Okay, all right. I don't know, because there's another cartoon that's like a, a description and not actually the name we use. But I won't be able to figure it out now. So that's a no. terrible end of the segment. There's another cartoon <laughs> that yes. when you told it to me what its name was in Mexico, I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. Los Simpson? No, something. Salvados por la Campana? This is not like a Salvados <laughs> por la Campana. What is that one? Say by the Bell. Oh, yeah, yeah, that didn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, that was not a cartoon, but okay, it's yeah, like a TV fine. show. All right, well, quick break. Thank you, Betty, for everything. Great job with your word of the day. Corey Caminos crushing it. Uh, 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. The top five at five coming up in a bit, but a couple other things uh, that just missed out on the top five I'm going to talk about right now, including this. Uh, CNN, um, a couple CNN pieces of audio I really enjoyed today uh, because of the premise of them and how uh, laughable the premise is or how um, the expectation to dismiss things uh, sort of exists on certain sides of the political aisle for whatever reason. Uh, but this is um, a roundtable of people uh, talking about how crazy it is that Republicans are questioning the FBI. Uh, they call it mind-bending. Uh, bending. Well, they also do say that, like, some level of this is supposed to happen or is necessary. The amount of it is just insane. They're being too critical. They're asking too many questions, and that's that's bad. That's wrong somehow. Here we go. Fodder for Republicans out on the campaign trail where you spend a lot of time. And when I say this, I mean the FBI is the enemy, the FBI is weaponized against Republicans. And so it is not surprising that they are actually using their power of the gavel to have a hearing, oversight hearing, which they should be having. <laughs> and there should be oversight. Uh, wait, wait, yeah, uh -huh, wait. Other agency but the they should be nice about it. But why are they being so crazy and mean? Because it's just adding to the conspiracy theory and all the stuff that I don't like that people are saying. I, I love that idea or that baked into a premise there that because the questions are out there, uh, maybe, and not all of them are, but some of them may be, especially according to a CNN, that that somehow is an ineffective use of people's time. Uh, several of the questions that were asked of the FBI director, Christopher Wray, uh, seem to be avoided, uh, even questions that would easily be answered. And actually, that's very similar to, and I'll talk about it in about 10 minutes as part of the top five at five, the craziness with the cocaine at the White House and why we don't have better answers out of some of these questions, because it, it fuels conspiracy theory. If you hate conspiracy theory, that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of conspiracy theory that's wrong. Uh, I've talked about a lot of those in this show, actually. One of my favorite ones was when they were saying uh, that certain politicians were replaced by doppelgangers. Uh, they, I don't know who they is, are, who the they is, by the way. I'm not accusing it of being all uh, conservatives or all uh, somebody, uh, but it was viral on social media. Uh, that certain politicians were being replaced uh, by doppelgangers. And I just got to say, out of like all the stuff that I could get in on in the world of conspiracy theory, that one's extra hard. That, that, that one is, is a tricky slope uh, to jump in on because like everybody has to be in on that in a way that you almost never see at all. And so to have a doppelganger person take over, I mean, they have that in the world of um, uh, Avril Lavigne. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones uh, that's not political in nature. Um, and again, I, I kind of just really like it because someone says that Avril Lavigne was too, uh, too, uh, popular. 
And so eventually uh, she didn't make it. She was sick or something. And so they had to replace her and the other one's not as good. And that, that's a real thing uh, that people stress about. But John Fetterman was one of the people who was being talked about that might have been replaced. And I got to be honest, uh, based on the timeline of when they were saying it, the doppelganger was not doing a better job. He was screwing up as much or struggling as much or whatever the words you want to choose them to be as much as the other guy. So it seems like that was a unique swing and miss. Uh, but I digress. Uh, not every conspiracy theory is insane. Uh, remember, things like Watergate were probably called conspiracy theory for a while. And then whoops-a-daisy, those things wind up being true. And so I just think it's interesting uh, when you're talking about politics now, and when you're doing it in a way that's intent to be as one-sided as a CNN is, even though they don't want to admit that they are, uh, one of the main goals is to just make you not think critically at all about the argument of the other side, uh, not try to figure out where the truth is in something that you're supposed to outright reject as entirely a lie, incredibly a lie, offensively a lie maybe, and then just move on about your day. Uh, that lack of curiosity is bad for you and bad for a lot of people and seems to be bad for CNN. Uh, because there were questions that needed to be asked. Uh, there have been a lot of whistleblowers that have come forward, not just one, not just two. I think for the FBI, there's something like 14 at one point, they said, uh, that came together and said that the bureaucracy itself is politically one-sided. They are politically minded, and they're not necessarily conservatives. And there's a lot of data that says that many of the bureaucratic positions that exist in our government are held by people who wind up donating uh, to the Democratic Party and not the Republican Party. The accusation that was long lobbed at Twitter or social media uh, for being one-sided is just follow the money, follow the donations. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. It's time for the Top 5 at 5, and we have an intro for this segment. Fire off my intro. It's time for the Top 5 at 5 on the Craig Collins Show. I was talking to my own computer. Uh, there's a producer here. Uh, so that was me talking to my computer. Top five of five. Let's go through it. The first one, the best one. I, I don't usually do these in order, but this to me is the top story today, is that the FBI, or actually specifically the uh, Secret Service, has told us that they can't figure out who brought cocaine into the White House. How is this? Like, honestly, how is this a thing? I've been saying it like that, and I'm going to keep saying it like that. The White House, a place where a baggie of white powder would be bad to bring in because it could be a, a serious um, a risk in the world of even an attack if that were a baggie of anthrax. I'm not saying I'm encouraging someone to attack the White House, but you're basically telling us that there was not enough security that exists in the White House to identify something, a substance that was left on the ground in an area that is at least somewhat close to um, uh, the Situation Room, although uh, Kaylee McEnany did describe it as not exactly as close as we've heard it as being, and she worked there, she would know. Uh, but let me just play this, because this is my favorite thing to play. Uh, first, it's a report, and it's just a quick little mention. I think this is from the 7th of July, uh, where NBC and others had started telling us we weren't going to know the answer to this question. So the Secret Service went into this pretty sure they didn't know how to figure out whose cocaine it was. I don't know why they were sure of that. I don't know uh, why it just took the, the fingerprint test and the DNA testing to come out to then be definitively unaware of whose cocaine it is. But th this is a bad look for the security of the most important uh, political building uh, in our country. And I would argue again that that is, in fact, the White House and not any of the other buildings like the Capitol building. How, how can this occur uh, there? And what kind of... Um, you know, uh, embarrassment, does it cause us as a country, as a society, as 
the Secret Service or whoever, uh, that the claim is we can't protect that building. I know a lot of people don't believe this claim. I know that I'm probably among those people. Uh, but here, let me play again the July 7th report first. We have been covering a mystery at the White House, a West Wing whodunit. Well, now we're learning <laughs> it's possible we may never get an answer. We'll never know. And now here's the reporting. I think this was um, CNN Today. And now the serious and the who knew we would be, have to continue reporting on something like this. <laughs> what? We have an up- Hold on. By the way, I love that intro. Who knew we'd have to keep talking about a baggie of cocaine found in the floor at the White House like it's a ridiculous story. Uh, can we be that polarized as people? Can you hate on the side of the left that much, the right, that if the right thinks a conspiracy theory is afoot and that Hunter Biden was doing lines of coke and then leaving baggies throughout the White House, that you diminish the idea that cocaine at the White House is and of itself an important story? Is it that divided? that you can't say that this does seem to be significant enough to continue to talk about until we find whose cocaine it is or at least get the answer we got today that we're we're never going to know that. I don't get that part. I don't get that part on either side of the aisle. When either side of the aisle is so upset about the spin, the narrative, the conversation that comes from uh, the first conversation, that they outright reject the entirety of talking about something on its face. There's an example I can give for this. It's not a perfect example, but I'm going to throw it out there. I talk about how when tragedies happen in our our world, in our country specifically, uh, that often politicians pivot to political argument. And my argument has long been in the world of of uh, gun violence or, you know, uh, horrible things that happen, a uh, mass shooter uh, type of story, that we should probably stay focused on the first conversation longer and not necessarily immediately see the desire to pivot to other things. In the world of whose cocaine is it at the White House, if you uh, subtract every single conspiracy theory that someone might easily throw at this now because we don't have an answer to it, wanting to know whose it is seems to be something that everyone should be on board with. You know, even if you're not saying it could be Hunter Biden's and that it's going to be part of his second memoir, um, you know, where he talks about doing cocaine again, I guess, because he put the other one out in 2021. And even just the I call it irony. It might just be the happenstance of all of this, that you have the son of the current president as someone who is an admitted drug user that went through a a pretty significant uh, drug phase in his life and wrote a memoir, as I said about it, uh, who winds up not necessarily being at the White House. I know the reporting is they were at Camp David, uh, but nonetheless, someone who lives there uh, some of the time, or at least is there a whole lot of the time, um, and talking about how he, you know, uh, may or may not have been connected to it. Like that, that is simple logic things that, that f- people uh, could connect those dots because of the story of who he is and what he's done in his life. And then you refute that by saying uh, definitively to the press, it is not Hunter's. It is not anyone in the um, the White House. Uh, we don't know why people are asking that question, which is not what they've done, uh, which is weird in of itself, too. Uh, but hold on. Let me play the rest of the CNN report. White House. I've just learned, according to two sources familiar with the investigation, that the Secret Service has concluded its investigation into this baggie of cocaine that was found inside the West Wing nearly two weeks ago, and they have been unable to identify a suspect. One of those sources tells me that they combed through hundreds of individuals in visitor logs and surveillance footage, uh, but they were ultimately unable to link this baggie <laughs> of cocaine uh, to one individual. Now, uh, uh, the second source... Uh, 
uh, uh, who is familiar with the investigation told me that the leading theory remains that it was one of these visitors who was entering that West Wing uh, entrance. By the way, that West Wing entrance would really not just be for tourists. It would be for friends and family of people who work staff at the White House, according to Kayleigh McEnany. All right, I know it's a top five at five, so I should get on to other things, but I just I don't understand. Uh, really, truthfully, uh, for however much people get mad at me for the things I share in the show that are political opinion, uh, and I am paid to share my opinion, that's what I'm doing here, and I don't uh, pretend I'm not doing that, uh, just so you know. Um, but I, I can't get how anyone on the left doesn't care whose cocaine was at the White House. I just I don't, I don't know how we got there. And I don't know how we get away from getting there because uh, it feels like a bad, a bad place to be. All right. There are other things uh, that I think are interesting, too. Our president uh, once again talked about climate change, uh, said how it's the uh, only existential threat uh, humanity faces. I think artificial intelligence uh, might be a pretty significant threat, sir. But here we go. And we're working in lockstep on to tackle climate crisis, which you've been leaders on for a long time. And uh, in order to literally preserve our planet, it's the only existential threat humanity faces. And we don't have a lot of time. All right, here. I, this is another one I like to talk about uh, differently. And I know that sometimes I might get messages, uh, 309-340-4464, where people actually accuse me of being a, a lefty, uh, which is fun. I've been accused of being everything on this show, left, right, down the center, painfully uh, down the middle, I think, is what somebody said. And I actually took that as a compliment. Uh, thank you, sir. But here's the reasons that the government can't solve climate change, because guess what? The government cannot solve climate change, especially not the United States government or even anybody that's a part of the Paris Accords, uh, which, by the way, look it up. Only one country has actually lived up to the the ask that the Paris Accords provided uh, to all of the countries within it. Only one country has followed those rules that were supposed to be law, um, you know, enforceable rules uh, to the T, uh, which is hilarious. But if we were to uh, pull back on emissions, uh, as a country, uh, in the things that really matter, the places that are actually not you and me, people living our lives, uh, driving our cars and buying electric cars long before we can afford them, but all the other things in the world uh, that businesses do, uh, those other countries that have no interest in cutting back on this climate um, sort of thing at all will not do that. So I know people don't believe that climate change is real, and I don't even need to have that argument that it's real or that it's fake to prove that the government trying to solve it is a failed effort at the very least. It's going to be a terrible, terrible decision. And here's the other thing about it is just handing hand over fist dollars to the government has never benefited anyone ever. It's never been a good idea. It's, I mean, look at here. I'm going to take a cheap shot uh, at, at Peoria while talking about this. But we're going to spend almost $700,000 on signs uh, here in this city. I don't know why we're spending $700,000 on signs. And I feel like I want to keep asking that question because we should all care as to how we're spending that much money, especially when I had somebody uh, appear uh, on the show, uh, one of the um, uh, you know council people at large, uh, Mike Vespa, and he said the QR codes that were one of the more significant costs in the signs aren't actually a done deal. But when you hand a bunch of money to the government and they hand it, um, without the proper amount of consideration that you should have if it was your money in your pocket uh, and not just the funds that get moved around in the world, uh, then things don't go the way you want them to. And that will be this effort at, against climate change. 
Uh, by and large, it will be a failed effort by our government because we can't force China, we can't force India to play ball in whatever world we want them to play ball in, and they can continue to output uh, more and more and more if they so desire or if people are buying. Uh, and you can export uh, natural resources. Uh, liquid natural gas is a thing. Please look it up for anyone yelling at the radio saying you can't send some of this stuff other places. You can. It's just so hilarious to me. Uh, that all of these conversations are being had in ways that won't have a net, net, a net positive effect on our society. It's very similar, um, and now I'm just in a deep rant and a bunch of stuff, to what I say about gun control. Uh, yes, you could have a conversation about the Second Amendment, about whether or not people are entitled to have guns uh, in our country. And that seems to be a conversation that's harder to win on the side of the aisle that's so sure that gun control will be the deterrent to mass um, uh, casualty events in our society or, or mass murder in our society. But the truth is that if you actually look up the data from when assault weapons were banned uh, for 10 years in our country uh, in the uh, mid-90s until the early 2000s, uh, we had no impact whatsoever. The actual data itself says no impact whatsoever on the amount of mass murder uh, that occurred and the way in which it occurred. And so ignoring that data and providing a conversation without context is in fact a thing that happens very often in the world of politics, and it makes us argue the other stuff. That, that's the thing to me. Some people listening to this show, and especially the takes I have right now today in the top five at five, uh, might think I should take the other road, uh, take the, the other approach to some of those conversations. It's unnecessary. You don't need to. Some of these arguments could be won if both sides were willing to have them honestly about the effectiveness of the solutions being provided, irrelevant to the seriousness of the question about uh, how much of a risk this or that is. Uh, climate change is not the only existential threat that humanity faces, if it even is that, um, but it is certainly something that cannot be solved by the United States forcing you and me to buy electric cars. That's not going to get us where we need to go, and it's hilarious uh, that that's essentially what they say, uh, more or less, and then they have these meetings in countries uh, that are willing to pull back because they see dollar signs in propping up other industries, and the countries who are unwilling to pull back are the ones that are causing the biggest problem. Quick break, a lot more, 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470. Oh, man, this is awesome. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I just got flooded with text messages about our wayfinding signs in Peoria because I'm still complaining about them, and a lot of people agree with me. Uh, they're very confused about the pricing. One of my favorite texts is, all right, Craig, figure out what the price of the sign should be yourself. And actually, another listener, uh, her name is Susan, friend of the show, uh, says she loves my response that I could do the signs cheaper uh, that I talked about on a previous show. So I just I Googled it. That's literally what I did during the break as I'm getting, again, a bunch more uh, texts. Uh, we're spending money on signs we should be spending on other things. I'm sure people agree with that, believe in that. Uh, but here, it's my favorite thing. I, I Googled wayfinding signs, and I found a company. Company. I don't want to throw the company out there and the 1-800 number, but I'm sure we could find more. I'm sure some of them could be in our area. And if we get the fancy signs, we get the aluminum, aluminum sign with the fancy posts, it's about 1200 to 1400 bucks a sign, which at 72 signs gets us $86,000, uh, $86,400. I know you got to put the signs in the ground, and I know people are saying that that's the true cost, so I need some sort of construction company to tell me how tricky it is. Uh, to put the signs in the ground in downtown Peoria, uh, which is where we want to put almost, uh, almost all these signs uh, because they're going to help us somehow downtown, even though a lot of people don't go, down, go downtown a lot or as much as they should. And so finding your way around downtown would feel maybe less valuable than finding your way around other parts of our city and our area. And by the way, if it's really tremendously expensive, 
to put the signs in the ground? Don't do it. Feels like another answer to that. Quite like, don't, then don't do that. Then don't put them in a place where it's that difficult to put them in. Then put them other places or spend the money on other things. Because then if you're talking about signs that cost $570,000 plus, again, I don't know what quote they got on the signs. I can get it done for under, under 100000 uh, But if they found a, a higher quote, all right. Uh, but if it's 500 plus thousand to put them in the ground, uh, then again, I need to know who can do that cheaper or how they can get done, because that feels like the waste in the and the fraud, waste, and abuse in the world of government and how they spend money. And I'm not accusing the, the council people specifically of trying to do this. I just think it's fascinating and hilarious that something that's going on now in our community and that I had uh, someone very kindly uh, agree to, to jump on and do the show and tell me that some of those decisions still aren't totally made. The makeup of the signs is still not confirmed, but we know the cost. We know the cost is something, but we don't know what the signs are. That feels hard to believe or understand. And again, I love the text coming in. Uh, 309-340-4464. Way to go, Craig, against the signs is one of the ones I just got. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Steve is who that is, apparently. Uh, tell me what part of the community uh, you're texting in from. Uh, when you text in, but I need a construction company to reach out to me and tell me how much they could get the signs in the ground for uh, in downtown. And I seriously want to do it. I want to take it on. I want to help out. I know I can't. I know that's not a thing we're probably allowed to do. Anyway, I will move on. I just love the response I'm getting from people that are enjoying uh, my complaining about something that is, in fact, very local and not something that's national and ridiculous, which we see every single day. Uh, other things out there. I thought this was kind of funny. Kind of interesting. There's a, a world's largest cruise ship uh, that I guess is going to be launching in January of next year uh, that's being called a monstrosity online uh, by a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people on, I don't think, Threads. Uh, Threads is not as good as Twitter, uh, by the way. It's just not, I'm on it. I, I downloaded it. I have it. You can't search anything. You can't hashtag stuff. You have no idea what conversations are going on about topics. You only see conversations in your feed. If you're following people and those conversations are all over the place, uh, anyone that's praising this is great, doesn't understand what you actually use Twitter for. You can't gauge uh, the, the thought on a – like even the, the All-Star game, when that was going on at the Home Run Derby, it was much, much easier on Twitter to see what people were saying than it was on Threads because of how crappy Threads is right now. But I digress. Anyway – People on Twitter are complaining about this ship because it's got everything. It has six water slides, seven pools, 20 decks on it. Uh, it has uh, 7,600 total rooms, uh, 5,610 are for passengers, 2,350 are for crew members. It is five times larger than the Titanic, and it looks ridiculous, and all the, but also fun. Like, it looks real fun, uh, although I would feel like you wouldn't be on a cruise ship. If you get on this ship, if you pay whatever the amount of money is, and probably some people are complaining because it's an expensive thing to do, uh, but if you did it uh, with the amount of things on it, you'd probably sort of forget you were on a ship uh, until maybe you, you had some sort of bad um, you know, uh, waves or something. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that because there's so many distractions on it. It is like glamping, uh, but the cruise ship version, uh, which, again, I don't know exactly. I've never been on a cruise ship. So maybe it's all like lamping. Uh, but we'll take a break. Uh, Will's got the news. Uh, maybe I'll complain more about science because this topic is going over very well for the textures. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Somebody sent in a text and challenged me 
on whether or not China, India, and other countries are actually lowering their emissions and if I am wrong about what I'm saying. And so I like that. I like to challenge, and I'll update you on what I found and how important it is out there because uh, I don't want to just be saying stuff without facts to back it up. Uh, India is going to increase its emissions. Uh, its GHG emissions would uh, increase by more than 40 percent uh, by the year 2030 under any of its current agreements it's made to reduce emissions. They're still going up the, the up direction. Uh, China has also at times seemed to reduce their emissions. I think a quarter uh, last year they had 8 percent reduction before then having an increase in emissions the very next um, quarter. So no is the answer. They have not and they don't care to. It doesn't even matter if they agree to stuff. Because uh, as I said, and I am right about that. I looked it up again. Only one country has actually lived up to its agreement in the Paris Agreement or the Paris Accords um, and several countries that are close to uh, living up to it. Not the United States, uh, by the way, but several countries that are close to living up to it are also countries that have very, very low emissions anyway. And then everybody who's got high emissions like, well, us, China, India, et cetera, uh, swing and a miss in that world. Russia, Japan, Iran, uh, those are some of the top uh, countries as CO2 emissions are concerned. Uh, so uh, just to get back to it and then move on from it, uh, when you talk about things like climate change, when our president bounces around places and tells us how important it is to give more money to the government so that they can fix the problems and make our lives better, uh, they are also not doing any of the stuff that they're saying they're supposed to do uh, to get that done. But they are taking the money, uh, the money part that seems to be going uh, just fine. And actually, I had another texter. I'm just distracted now. I will get to good story, bad story in a second that said they love the show. Thank you for that. A lot of people uh, send in very kind words, but you said other stuff, uh, which is why I'm going to read it. Uh, you said the uh, money for the signs is ridiculous. And then when you add in water bills, when you add in the stormwater tax, pension fees, et cetera, uh, that's the reason that someone left uh, Peoria and got out of uh, the city itself into some of our surrounding communities. And I understand it's a conversation you have about a lot of places, about the Chicago's and the New York's of the world and the California and uh, L.A. specifically of the world and why people flee Illinois as a whole is the cost on stuff. Uh, Caterpillar not being in Illinois is not just a failure. Their headquarters is not just a failure of Caterpillars. Uh, if to anyone who feels that way, it's a failure of, of Illinois uh, to lose a company like that. As important as that, because places like Texas are better uh, for companies like that. And so that that is my hot take of the day, I guess, if I'm throwing it out there. And I do love the fact that this uh, listener also referenced the stormwater tax, uh, something I've had people come up and tell me about before. That's a problem uh, here in Peoria because it, it is funny when you actually understand it, that essentially what happened is at some point some things got screwed up. And then the only way to pay for it was to charge everybody money. So the, the way it's articulated to you and me, the people who are paying the money, is that we're paying for the water that falls on our on our you know property <laughs> that feels to have that water get taxed in a way feels weird. It's a bad way to articulate this. Uh, it would have been better if you just had like a collection basket go around like you do at church and just said, we all got to pay. Come on. And I know that's not the way the government works, but it, it does feel odd. And I've, I think I've talked about in this show wanting to put a bunch of like baby pools out all throughout my yard and then see what happens. I would not want that call from the city, though, as to why that was occurring. Uh, anyway, I'm going to move on. Good story, bad story time. None of that stuff. Uh, first, the good story. And there's a lot of them uh, out there today. A seven-year-old kid in Michigan uh, was drowning in a pool, and no one noticed until two other kids saw him and got help. His mom had to do CPR, but he's fine. He's going to be totally okay. How do you not notice this is a question I want to ask a whole lot of times, and other people will ask, but there is some audio that goes along with this story. The seven-year-old wasn't breathing. He was blue. 
and he was lifeless. I just thought it was the right thing because I don't really want to let someone die. Again, you don't want to let someone die. Yes is the right answer. Uh, the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Swanson, is the first voice you heard there before one of the young kids, 12-year-old Noah, uh, who helped save this kid's life. Uh, that has got to be terrifying as well, uh, the way because I've heard that described that way before, that someone who you know, is is suffocating before they get saved by CPR turns blue. And I couldn't fathom being a seven-year-old's parents and seeing that happen. But the, the kid is totally fine. And two little kids, the reason why, helping save his life. That's awesome. A woman in Alabama, this is another good story, who's a recovering addict, asked her boss if she could show up at a custody hearing and testify to help her get her kids back. Instead, he offered to shut down the entire company for a day so all 70 employees could go tell the judge how good of a person she is and how much she's changed her life. All 70 people showed up. And with that many individuals at a courthouse saying we're character witness to this person and the way she's changed, uh, it helped her to actually win uh, that uh, battle in court. So that's that's an amazing story on the part of the employer and the other uh, colleagues. Uh, as long as they're all, of course, uh, telling the truth. A, a part of my brain, in the back of my brain, got worried about the praise here, but only if uh, some of that message is the way that you say nice things about colleagues you don't know very well, or even bad things. Uh, there are people, I think, that will criticize someone they work with that they don't know or have never even interacted with because it's like the thing that other people say. And so when I, I heard this story and I like this story and I love the fact that the boss believes his employee this much because I'm sure – the boss knows her quite well. A part of me was hoping that all other, all these 70 other employees I know this person very well, uh, too. But again, that, that went in good story. I didn't mean to sour it a bit with my reaction. Now, here's a bad story. Uh, when I do these, I tell you things that hopefully uplift you. Uh, they demonstrate that the world we live in today is not as bad as you might think it is. And then we do something else before we end the segment. A uh, drunk wedding guest was found lying in an intersection snoring. This happened in Iowa. The guy's fine uh, now, uh, 25 years old. The guy's name is Lane. Uh, you could tell that he had recently been at a wedding because he was still in the whole uh, tux outfit. And he was just laying in the middle of the street. And he was very much asleep. It was 4 o'clock in the morning uh, when he woke up. Uh, he actually asked questions like, where are the partiers at now? Things to that effect before eventually being hauled off and, you know, fined and all that stuff going on for public intoxication. The reason I love this story so much, because uh, that's not good. Don't do that. Don't get that drunk at a wedding that you wander out uh, alone in the night and then fall asleep on the street and have to have the cops show up there to pick you up. But the reason I love this so much is when I was living in Chicago. Uh, for a couple years toward the end of my uh, time in college, I lived in Wrigleyville. I had a roommate. We had a basement apartment. It was very cheap uh, for apartments in Wrigleyville. And also uh, lots of parties uh, were thrown in it, not by mostly by my roommate. Like I was at the parties. I was friends with everybody. But I didn't I don't want to throw them. My friend loved throwing them. So he would be like the Facebook inviter guy. And then eventually there'd be a bunch of people we didn't know uh, inside our apartment because that's how college parties worked. And that's the part I didn't like. I was like, man, we could do smaller gatherings of just our actual friends. And he was like, no, nah, let's not do that. And so there were many times that I would wake up, even on like, say, a Monday, and be leaving my small apartment and find a dude sleeping outside of our home in like the yard and have to kick wake that person up and not even know who it was. I'm like, hey, um, guy, you're asleep. It's outdoors. You should probably go other places. He'd be like, oh, man, thanks. Great party last night. 
That happened multiple times uh, in college uh, for me. We were all 21, by the way, anyone that's wondering and curious. Uh, and it was um, a time in my life that I kind of wish I had moved out and lived. It was fun, but I wish I'd lived somewhere else. Uh, but that's why I find that so amusing is I've met this guy multiple times, and it's not a good look. Uh, Lane is not proud of himself today. Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thank you to everybody who's texting the show. I feel like the texts have been very active today. Uh, 309-340-4464 is the phone number to text the show. 309-340-4464. I have someone that is still uh, arguing with me in the world of climate change, in the world of the Paris Agreement. And I don't want to continue to talk about it on the radio uh, so that person and I can continue to chat off the air. Uh, But I just recommend anybody look up and see what a uh, Princeton uh, climatologist has said about the uh, Paris Accords. He gives them a D or an F uh, based on the promises. And I actually love the description in one of the articles I found on this, uh, which is definitely from a left-leaning publication. Uh, But it says the Paris Accords or the Paris Agreement on climate change is a weird combination of soaring promises and failed delivery on said promises. Man, what does that sound like? Does that sound like the government and politicians all the time? Is that is that sort of what it is, where you pledge amazing things and then you provide not amazing things? Or also the fact that places uh, like Brazil uh, thumb their noses and Russia uh, to any agreement like that, and they are some of the highest emitting countries in the world. Anyway, again, not dovetailing. I will have those chats uh, off the air uh, in the world of texting. But you can text the show, uh, 309-340-4464. I can't let one topic dominate the entire show on air. Uh, but I'd love to keep talking to you about all the stuff and continuing to get your reactions uh, to some of the things I'm talking about here. I usually don't do a lot of politics to end the show, uh, but there is a piece of audio I wanted to play, and I just sort of forgot about it, and it's just sitting here, so let's go ahead and play it before we end the show. I love this. Uh, This is a a politician, a Democrat, Sheila Jackson Lee, uh, saying how George Soros is an American and a patriot, and how dare you people. Uh, besmirch him and talk about him like he's the great, horrible boogeyman that conservatives say he is. I got to be honest. I don't do a lot of uh, Soros content on this show. I do think he, uh, when he does uh, donate politically, which he does a whole crap ton of, and his son said he's going to do even more of now that the son's taken over, uh, he donates to people who are far left, especially uh, district attorneys uh, recently have been uh, well-funded by Soros. Now, so that's a conversation that happens a lot. Uh, in conservative circles and conservative media uh, about the boogeyman that is uh, the guy handing money uh, to the opposing team. And again, uh, that part, you have a right if you're uber wealthy to to pay whoever you want to pay to try to get them elected. It's not necessarily great if there's people like Soros, as powerful as they are financially, uh, funneling money certain directions. Uh, But it would probably be something that could at least be a little bit uh, ignored at least on, on my show uh, more often than maybe it should. If you didn't have Democrats saying stuff like this, that makes it hilarious uh, because uh, outright defending and, and claiming how great the human is, who must have written some checks your direction, is just to me uh, very, very um, uh, awesome in the way of, of demonstrating why people on the other side of the aisle complain in the first place and name drop the human, uh, George Soros. Let me ask you this. First of all, we have uh, accusatory commentary of Soros DAs. Let us not put an individual that is not here, a contributing American, and jeopardize his life for always throwing his name out in the most ugliest of ways. I am offended by that. Soros does not (laughs) deserve that. 
He is an American and a patriot. He's a patriot, darn it. And he also comes from a minority community, one might say. Well, one might say. Uh, not the same minority community you come from, but as a Hungarian-American businessman, I guess you could try to claim he's he's minority. And <laughs> if that somehow uh, big, makes a, a difference to the people who criticize him, I don't, I don't think it does. I think they're criticizing him because of the ridiculous amounts of money he gives to very specific uh, Democratic politicians, uh, especially district attorneys now, has been one of the things he has been doing. And Alvin Bragg out of New York got a lot of money from George Soros. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's true. That's a real thing that happened. And so when people complain and when people vilify uh, that uh, individual, uh, apparently this is something that deeply offends uh, someone on the Democratic side of the aisle, which only makes it more likely, I think, that you hear more conversation about people saying, hey, this guy is is doing harm, at least to the political party you're in if you're on the other side, uh, because this is all uh, basically an admission of just how important Soros is to Democrats. But anyway, I digress. I, I had that audio sitting on that audio all day and wanted to play it and then kind of forgot about it. And yet there we go. We still did it. Uh, a couple other things before we get out of here. I do think it's interesting that it's National French Fry Day today, but it's also National French Fry Day tomorrow. I don't know if you're aware of that. Apparently, both days have been marked in the calendar, the 13th and 14th of July as being French Fry Day. I've joked about before being confused who comes up with these, how we have a national holiday for everything uh, that no one ever really celebrates. That's certainly uh, mostly silly and mostly the way businesses uh, can get their name out there. A lot of companies are giving away free fries, I think, today, uh, more so than tomorrow. Uh, but I just love the fact that there might be a, a two-day uh, version of, of French Fry Day because I think that's fine. I think that's completely fine. Uh, we can celebrate French fries for an entire week. I would be okay with that. I hope you're okay with that. And actually, in honor of that, there also are some viral old, I think, uh, commercials or jingles going on uh, that are popping all over social media. I think I have a McDonald's one uh, out there, so I can go ahead and play this one real quick. Uh, this is a McDonald's French fry jingle. French fries, McDonald's and you. When did that happen? I, I feel like that's got to be uh, very retro. I remember that. I recalled that as soon as I played it and saw the little uh, image of it. But when did we go away from those, uh, too, by the way? Uh, does any company right now have the cheery? Let me play that again. The cheery, kind version of French fries and you that McDonald's had. French fries, McDonald's and you. Man, I want somebody to be like singing that when they sit down in the in the restaurant and have just like a, a big giant um, thing of free French fries. I don't think you get the large in the world of the free one, but I, I just summon along French fries and me at McDonald's uh, would be awesome. Uh, we don't have a lot of that anymore. Uh, something else I want to play. I did really like this um, a lot. Uh, this was Damar Hamlin presenting at the ESPYs. Uh, I encourage people to go watch the nine ten minute video uh, that is out there. Uh, because he gets very emotional. Uh, DeMar Hamlin actually did a voiceover, and one of the things he admits in the voiceover is you don't always know the names of all the people that you work with, especially in the world of football and even people on your own training staff. You know them, but you don't know them. But then when they save your life as a, as a collection of humans, you get to know them very well. Uh, so that whole thing plays, and DeMar Hamlin starts crying uh, a bit, and people stand up and applaud. He collects himself, though, as a football player and then introduces uh, the entire training staff. And one individual, uh, Nate, starts to speak, and he says some things that I can easily get behind, that I feel like a lot of people can easily get behind or should uh, be able to get behind. And again, this is all within the context of saving somebody else's life. Please welcome this year's recipient of the Pat Tillman Award for Service. 
the training staff of the Buffalo Bills. Okay, my name is Nate Bresky. I'm the head athletic trainer for the Buffalo Bills. By the grace of God and divine intervention, we had the best outcome we could have prayed for or imagined. Damar, first and foremost, thank you for staying alive, brother. <laughs> thank you. Why, why did I get jealous when he said, thank you for staying alive, brother, and DeMar Hamlin nods his head yes. I want to be able to say that to somebody at some point that I saved their life. Like, thank you for staying alive while I was saving your life and it was kept alive. That was awesome. Hold on a little more. The response to DeMar's injury was able to bring our nation together for a moment and show the world the power of prayer. Let's Ooh. remember that feeling Ooh. of unity and use it to make sure we can save the next life, too. He said the power of prayer. He actually talked about prayer twice uh, in that uh, statement that I think was only a minute or so long. And it, it's wonderful, again, to hear that and to think about that and to wonder sometimes why uh, faith itself in general in something has almost been vilified along with a lot of other things. Uh, not there, uh, not in the emotional speech, the way DeMar Hamlin uh, seems impacted by it, and the way that the training staff are proud of a job well done. It's a really cool moment. And honestly, as I said, the entire nine-minute video uh, has a lot of impact.